Hello everybody and welcome to WTS 189 for the second time. I'll explain that in a minute. My name is Danny Murray. <laughs> My name is Graham Merrigan. How are you, Dan? I am absolutely tip fucking top Akara. Are you keeping well? Yeah, like I feel great. I feel very content. Um I'm very happy. Um and yeah, I feel good. I feel really good. That's what I like to hear, Graham. That is what I like to hear. I feel really good um, about life, Danny. About life. Just in general. Ah, oh, just in general. Nice man. That that is a that, that I I like when when people are in just a content mood. There's nothing content. that's there's nothing that's caused a the happiness. There's nothing that's triggered. There's, there's not like they've won the lotto. They're just happy with their lot and they're plodding along. <laughs> that is where we should all aspire to be. Absolutely. You know? As I say that, as I don't know if you could see him or not. Lupo there yeah. was wandering around the background for a second. Um, but yes, this is WTS 189, technically part two, because three, over nearly four years ago now, Nearly four years ago now, Graham, you and I went to UFC 189 and we recorded an episode over there, which you called WTS Chapter 189. I can't believe that was so long ago. I know, man. I know. That's when we used to have that Lindsay one on the podcast and everything. Great woman. What a woman. I was on the phone to her today. She's great. Do you know what? I often I often make fun of her when we reference her on the podcast, but she is. She's, she's a diamond as Lindsay. She's inspiring. Yeah. She's a mad hippie, though. She says to me today on the phone, uh, now, I know you're going to uh, call me a hippie when I say this, but anyway, I'm going to say it. And I was, she said what she had to say, and I was like, yeah, you're a hippie. <laughs> yeah, definitely a hippie, all right. That does sound like Lynn's, in fairness. Um, but if, she, if, she's li- if, if she's listening, I hope she's doing well. Yeah, she listens to all these mindfulness podcasts and hippie podcasts, yeah, so yeah, she probably yeah. isn't. So just slag her there. Yeah, well, you know, I mean... Oh, do you know what? No, I'm not going to, Graham. No, we're, we're in good mood. Her. We're in good mood. We'll we'll leave her be. We'll give her we'll give her a pass this time. But the next time her name comes up, I will abuse her. Great, and she's a great bum. Okay then. I won't and argue with that. And and then to, to to give Austin some credit, he's got great abs as well. Austin, her partner. Austin does have unbelievable abs and uh, and a dashing smile, might I add. He does. He's a mad hippie though as well. They all are, man. Well, Damo's not. Damien Dark is a great bloke. No, great. Great, great people. Um, anyway. Yes. You know, this, this kind of actually sets up a bit of a theme that we're referencing all these people and all these friends. Because this, week, this week's episode of the podcast, uh, I suppose it's kind of inspired by listeners in many ways. There's, there's various yeah. strands of this that wouldn't happen unless you, the listener, reached out to us with various elements of this and the first one that we are going to get the ball rolling with Mero is a friend of the show Donald who got in touch with you Donald? Do I say Donald? What are you talking about? For the guest? No, for the poem Oh, sorry, apologies Yeah, my friend Donald Donald Fitz Mag uh, got in touch with me ages ago um, with the poem uh, I'm going to read it out now because I think it's important, especially with with people uh, with disabilities and stuff like that. And down, I tweeted it out and I got a great, really good reaction. And the author of the poem, which was untitled in the in the screenshot that Donald sent me, uh, he was tagged in the poem. 
and now he's in touch with Donal. So Donal um, has a son, Ushin, who was born with dwarfism. And um, that guy who wrote the poem, who, who also was born with dwarfism, told Donal, look, follow me. If you need any pointers or whatever, just give me a show. And I just thought that was brilliant. Um, but I will, I'm just going to get this poem. Donal is a big listener of the podcast. I think he does be a, a few behind, but uh, he texts me mo- most evenings and uh, we bounce stuff off each other. So it's called Camera Phones. And it's by a person with dwarfism. That's what it says on it. Um, you saw me approaching. I watched your eyes widen with glee. You spun and you told your friends to look. I read your lips mouth. OMG. You think I am a spectacle. I felt heavy, filled with dread. You walked in my direction as I stared straight ahead. You pulled out your camera phone. I know what happens next. You clutched it vertically, two-handed in a way that no one texts. You filmed and photographed me passing, recorded on your camera. You showed your laugh and mates the footage and all I have to show was anger. That Your friend pretended to admonish you. We both know they didn't mean it. A weak protest of don't, that's me and I decided just to leave it. You turned around the corner. I walked on for a block. Veins flooded with adrenaline. I wish the cortisol would stop. You post it, you'll post it all on Facebook, Snapchat, uh, sorry, you'll post it all on Snapchat, Facebook for others just like you. Your bigotry affirmed by likes and comments, shares and views. You think you're in a power here, but I know that you are wrong. You need those who appear different to tell yourself that you belong. See, I don't need that reassurance only to be left alone, to go about my day unnoticed and for you to get away your phone, to, or for you to put away your phone. I love the way I am and you are you so desperate to be normal because I really hate to be like you. That really would be awful. So that was uh, that poem there, Dan. Um, yeah. I made the bollocks of a part of it, so sorry about that, Donald. But that was called Camera Phones by a person with dwarfism. What do you think of that, Dan? Yeah, yeah, the message in it is quite clear, you know, and um, it, it's something that it's it's in a way kind of it it sparked a little bit of uh, earlier this week there was a story in in the in, in around social media and that of uh, two Muslim girls being attacked in Dundrum and yeah. their their hijabs being ripped, ripped off them and um, they were they were abused and 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 I think I I, I can't remember but I think um, they were physically assaulted as well uh, now the poem doesn't mention that about physical assault but it's just that whole thing of somebody who's different. Somebody who's different and they're picked on just because of that difference. Um, yeah. in You know, in the poem, somebody with dwarfism, um, earlier this week, it was two girls who, who look different. Um, and it's just one of those things of why. And the root cause is always that it's the perpetrator who has a problem somewhere, you know? And they lack the 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 nose, they lack the the morality, they lack the self confidence to just accept things and just leave people alone, you know? Yeah. Um but that's yeah, that, that's that's exactly it. And it's like you do often see on on social media, you, you do often see like something that annoys me, right? Because I obviously I have a disability. And there's certain there's certain words that annoy me. Labels. It's always labels. And it's yeah. like 
if if I don't like a label, I'll say it. But then you'll have some somebody saying, oh, uh, you know, this the world has gone PC mad. And I always find the people that are saying the world has gone PC mad are like people that can't be targeted by such words or such labels. Mm. You know, it, and it, like it could be it could be a male or female, 40 years of age, nothing wrong with them. They obviously have an insecurity, though, if they're going out and saying, oh, the whole snowflake PC brigade. But it's hard when you're going around and either you're someone with dwarfism and you've got people that are taking photos of you just to put up on Facebook, just to just to get notoriety and just to get a few likes and shares. But they don't fucking think about the person that that it is. Do you know what I mean? No, because the, 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 the person that's on the receiving end of their fucking... Uh, their abuse and their mockery is is just a prop to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, nonsense. Just a prop to they're them. human that, beings, that, like, for God's sake. Um, and that's it. And it's you know, the world would be a lot better if people just lived by the mantra of "Don't be a dick." For, for the start, 100%. don't be a dick. And the second part of it then is there's no them, only us. I mean, like, I don't, I don't understand this idea of creating an us and them attitude. When it comes to anything, you can take it to the extremes of the likes of your one old Doherty, who, who we won't dwell on, but like the shite she's coming out with, um, is one side of creating the them versus us. But, but the simple act of what somebody might do is only having a laugh. But you know, taking taking your phone out and deliberately videoing somebody with the intention of, you know, abusing them, mocking them uploading to social media and thinking this will this is great this will get a lot of views and, and army mates will have a laugh at it like just man what what what, what are you what are you actually fucking doing like come on I won't listen to people calling people uh, or saying snowflake or PC brigade because of um, like I don't like certain words I don't like the word handicap that's I don't mm. like cripple you know and the, there are there are people that would say that. Like I said, I came yeah. across a tweet today saying, "Oh, there is this Instagram fucking thing that's going on today where it's like I, I can't remember what it is, but it's one is of this those. the thing Instagram are going to take ownership of all your photos yeah. and loads of celebrities have been posting it." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of those stupid things. And I seen a tweet by people that I follow who liked the tweet, and the tweet said something like, "All these handicappers on Instagram." Uh, posting this uh this yoke on uh, on their on their stories or the Egypt or whatever and i'm kind of like right he's labeling people and he's labeling people like he's put me in that label do you know what i mean right right so it's like about this person who i looked into his profile just briefly um and he's in quotes perfect do you know he's you know he, white, he, he, white male of a certain age yeah that's lot, that's lot, what it lot is a lot of privileges afforded to him that he probably doesn't even realize yeah so like if i if i was to share that tweet and 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 remark on uh we need i'm not gonna say we're gonna need to ban this word but like i'm just gonna say i i, I would have said something generic like oh people can use relax in this word but it's, it's a quite a hurtful word Um, i get i probably get stick but i get stick by people who don't know what it's like to be labeled a word because they're not labels yeah, they probably vote for Brexit as well. Those kind of people. Exactly, uh, that's what I mean. <laughs> but sure, look, we'll 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 move on. I wanted to get that poem over the line a couple of weeks ago, so sorry, Donald, I only did it now, and I probably made a bit of a bollocks of it as well. 
Um, and yeah, look, lads, again, as always is the message on this podcast, just don't be a dick. The only person who gets away with being a dick here is me, and that's because I'm a 100% <laughs> bona fide heel on this podcast. Uh, who's our guest uh, this week, Danny? Our guest this week, uh, in in reference and back to that theme of uh, listeners getting in touch with us and and you know making recommendations for content and guests and ideas and stories and all these different things and and lads, thanks for doing that by the way because uh, it does make our life a lot easier, especially um, now that I'm living um, far far away in um, in a different land. So sometimes putting things together can be a little bit more awkward for us and coordinating everything. So when you lads reach out to us with ideas and with stuff and that kind of gives us the momentum to go up and follow it it does the fucking world of good so if there is a guest rant that you ever want to get on or you think would be good for our podcast tweet us at WTS pod or tweet at America Mania or at Dan Joe Murray and, uh, and just and just give us some deets and we'll get on with it from there but that's exactly what happened in this week's case um, friend of the show John Blake sent us a message uh, and Jamie and, sorry, and Jamie Phillips, of course, yeah. Um, they, they got in touch with us a few weeks ago anyway. Um, the two lads are, um, besides being ripped and having calves that would make you feel <laughs> very insecure about yourself. Jamie um, listens to us on all his, all his practice up and down the country. Well, if that's the case then, Jamie, come on, speed up, mate. Speed up. <laughs> yeah. Where, oh, where are you now, Jamie? <laughs> right now as you're listening to this, where are you? Text me, don't I want know. to know. Don't be moaning about that hill. That hill is tiny, man. Get the <laughs> fuck over it. Um, but yeah, so anyway, anyway the lads, the lads um, through their endeavours of endurance sport, have got to know a gent. Um, and they said, this guy's story is one that absolutely would be perfect on your podcast, lads. It's, it's amazing. And they gave us some of the details, some of which uh, we, we won't get into because it's, it's much better coming from the horse's mouth. Um, so, without further ado, who have we got this week, bud? We have Jer Redmond. Jer, you're on the line. How are you? Good, lads. How are you? Thanks Great, for your man. time. No problem. Um, Jer, a, a, a listener of this podcast contacted us and told us a little bit about your story. And uh, straight away, myself and Mero were, were texting each other saying, like, this is exactly the kind of thing that we love on this podcast. We, we love stuff that comes to us organically and we love like a real human story you know what i mean and um we, we've got to talk to some amazing people over the, the four years that we're doing this podcast i think this is going to qualify as another one of those great human stories um but some people may not know a thing about you so give give us a few cliff notes to kick off so at the minute i'm i'm the age 37 and i have five kids and a wife pauline and uh, my kids' names are Ross, Kelly, Haley, Kiva, and Kira. And five kids, my God! Five kids and a wife. Four what girls and one boy. I kept it going for the boy. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted the young I did. So uh, yeah, kept it, kept it lit. And uh, lucky yeah. enough, I got the boy. God knows where it be. So yeah, but um, it was well worth it to be honest because uh, as I go through the podcast, you didn't realize that it was actually the boy that probably turned around for me, you know, in the end. So it was a gift. We, we see him as a gift, as all our kids are, but uh, I think when you have a boy, it's don't want to be pushing the girls out, but there's something more to it as a man with a man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's beautiful, a beautiful uh, little present for us. And, 
He's a great little kid, you know, and he has changed my life and my wife's life. So, yeah. And, and I got, I don't know what I'm saying, I got the snip after, <laughs> which, which I don't know how. i listen to this one. I don't know how anyone ever sat around in a round table and said, yeah, we do the snip voice of the week. Because, Jesus Christ, man. Oh, I'm not messing with the voice. World exclusive there. Jay Redmond got the snip. <laughs> oh, look, I have no shame in it. This is what it is. Um, me and I was going, sorry, cut across there. I was going to say, take us back to the start here about, in, in relation to your story. Because as Danny said, we know your story. Yeah. Um, we won't give anything away just yet. But take, take yeah. us back to the, to, to the, the very beginning of, of where, I suppose, adulthood probably kicked off for you a bit earlier than uh, most people. Right. Grant. So we'll start from the start then. Uh, I hope you have time because it might take a while. But um, yeah, I grew up in Darndale. Um, I lived there for about 10 years and uh, my memories from living there would be soccer, you know, love play soccer. I used to dream about being a, a football player. I was a, a big Liverpool fan, had the candy gear and all that. I suppose uh, soccer, yeah, it was the only thing we probably could do because balls were cheap, you know. We weren't going swimming or anything like that. Like We didn't have that sort of luxury living in Darndale. You know, Darndale wasn't a bad place to grow up. Um, it's all I knew and you know the usual messing like as you get in any estate fighting and arguing and uh, it's normal love as a kid um, at the age of 11 my family emigrated to Germany to start a new life um, my mother's sister lived over there we went over to move with them and I went to school there and uh, things didn't work out there after a year we Actually, there was an argument that we had the two families and we ended up out in the streets and ended up going to a hostel for a few nights. I think they gave us the money to, to get a ferry to London. My father's brother, or my father's mate actually lived in London and we lived there for a month in a flat with him. And again, we ended up in a hostel. And again, I went to school in Corbett Christie in Brixton and I lived there for about, I think it was nearly 11 months. Ago. And it didn't work out again. And... We ended up back in Kilock, about a kilometre from where we started. So it was a bit of a journey, but we didn't we didn't go too far, you know. We ended up back where we started, really. Lived in my nannies for about a year or two, and then we got a house then up in Kilock. And it was at this stage that I was, I was I always loved the football, as I said. I, I was uh, I always dreamt about being a pro, watching match of the day, and you know, I was playing with a team called Saint Columbus, and uh, it was playing for these that. I, I realised I was a really good football player. I was with the DDSL team and uh, I was with the Leinster team and you know the skills and all that. And St. Columbus wouldn't be wouldn't have been a great team. So I stood out in fairness and uh, it was at this club that a team called Unfermanent Athletic from Scotland heard about me and they came and watched me. And the day they came and watched me, I scored ten goals. It was ten one when I scored the ten goals. What? True story. And uh they, they after the match they came down with the coach to my family and I couldn't believe it like and they were talking in the sitting room and going okay we want them over a trial and I mean lads it wasn't heard of Kulak going on trial you know what I mean especially with Columbus because he wasn't an unknown team like. and what position he, were you? striker 10 goals what did you think? wasn't the back <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was an unreal. They said in two weeks we want to come over on a trial. And I'm not messing, I'm sitting in my sit room, I'm in my bedroom, and I'm playing FIFA 
football and I'm playing with the lads, Dunfermline lads that I'm about to meet. And I'm not messing, it was just an unreal experience. Like, and the confidence was so high. And then we went over on a Saturday and I brought my boots and that with me, obviously. Got off the flight and went to a match to watch a match when the 16s were playing, Dunfermline were playing Falkirk. And I got there, he said, sure, look at you, want a room with us? I said, I'm sure, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a bear shit in the woods, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I put on my gear, anyway, new kit and all, and on the bench, obviously, and uh, they're losing 3 1. But he said, throw the lad on. So I got on, scored two goals, and laid up the winner. And that was it. But not messing with you. I went back to the clubhouse. I met the manager of the force team. He brought me all around the stadium, showed me the backroom staff, met everyone. And I signed up as a YTS, a youth training scholarship full-time getting paid. I went home and then I moved over on a full-time base. But I'll tell you a little story, which is a classic. So in the cup matches, Clumans would used to play Stella Mars, Kevin's home farm, you know, all the big clubs. And they'd come down with hammers. They used to always play half decent, but they'd always look down, you know, kill that guy or whatever. Not in a, a malice way, but, you know, you just get that vibe. Well, maybe it's just me in the head, but, you know, you think that them cunts are looking at you going, excuse me, language, but... Um, so, when I got signed up with Dunfermline, we were invited to the Milk Cup. It's one of the biggest prestigious cups in the world, actually. And uh, I remember going into the dinner hall and all these big teams were there that I'd been playing against. And I walked in with this professional outfit, Dunfermline, and everyone looked around. And I remember seeing all the lads that I'd been playing against, you know, with all these big clubs. And it was the proudest moment of my life. Like, I just stood there and sat down. It was fucking class. Like, it was like, fuck you. It was all from Kula. But I'm at the professional outfit, you know. So that was a, an unreal experience. Over to Dunfermline, uh, in a place called Inverness. And I lived over a pub there. Getting looked after. Like, and I was only 16 at the time. So it was a bit, you know, on your own and that. But it was my dream. So, you know, I was willing to walk in. And I settled in well with the force team and... Youths and that, and uh, you know, we got washed clean and boots, and in behind the stadium, like it's unreal, it's like a little dream, you know, clean and boots, people yeah. like giving me tips, and you know, and then um, so I'm playing, and then I get a call from home to say my dad had, had committed the crime, and uh, that smashed my dream. My dream was uh, Thor Sunder, and um, yeah, I had to go home then, I had two brothers and three sisters, and uh. Yeah, I went, had to go home and see what was Why happening. did you have to, I know your dad committed a crime, but wh- why was it that you had to go home? Because there was no one else there. My mother was in, in, a drinker and uh, there's no one else going to keep it together. And I thought, I felt I was the man of the house and I decided to go home. Um, it was affecting me football even over there, like for the, the week or two after being told. And I felt it was, I felt a duty to go home and at least try and sort a few things out. And when I got home, oh yeah, it was like carnage, like it was a lot of bleeding, hassling. To rub salt in the room, my mother left the home for another man and went off to Liverpool. And that left us with no parents. We went from worrying about putting the ball in the back of the net to putting food on the table. Uh, what age? 16, 17? 16, 17, yeah, 16 and a half or something. Yeah. Fucking hell. And, and, and so- like, Sorry, Jay, just so like within a, a matter of weeks here, we're talking you going from like your your dream situation to a, a complete nightmare situation. Like, 100%. That's exactly the way it went. 
Yeah. Like, you know, like, a lad from Kulak, Megan, hard enough to do. Mm. And even when, I, even when I did make it, I had those cans in the house, like, there was always arguments and fights. So it was hard enough even at that time, but I always found something true football that sort of blocked out all that, you know? Yeah. Uh, violence in the house, drinking in the house all the time, like, and that happened from a young age. Like, I remember from, like, first year in school, 12, 13, there was always trouble in the house and arguments and fucking, you know, there's always carnage. We never really, never really, uh, you know, and you don't know any difference, I suppose, at that age. It's only when I grow older and you think, yes, that wasn't right, you know what I mean? Mm. You have your own family, like, it's not right to be like that. So. It was an un- unsettled, was it? Oh, 100%. It was never any other way, to be honest with you. It was unsettled. And the fact that I'd done that made it, I was, like, you know, I was really proud of it, considering where I was from. And, it was a big thing, like for me anyway, and for everyone else, I suppose, even in the area, it was a big thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and for, for it to be taken away from me for that, uh, was a big knockback. Do you know what I mean? How how did Dunfermline take the news that you were leaving them? It was after it was it was after a short period of time. Yeah, look, I mean, they weren't happy, and they were ringing back saying, "Was everything all right?" And you know, liaising with the coach and Columbus and that, and you know, but. Like at that stage, I, I, I had no animosity to play football. I didn't even want to play football because my confidence was gone to zero. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? Like, and and then, like, I was, ah, look, I don't want to get too much into it. There was a bit of hassle, like, I want my father done. And um, I had to deal with that as well. And, you know, it was hard to even go out at times. So, yeah, it was a lot. I didn't go training much around. And I saw it. You know what hurt me actually the most? I started not playing good at football and it was the one thing I was absolutely superb at. And I felt I, 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 if someone, if you passed the ball to someone and they couldn't pass it back to you, I didn't understand why. Because I, I was that, I felt I was that perfect that you know what I mean? Someone gave me the ball, I gave it back to them and someone didn't give it back to me. I was like, how can you not just pass a ball? <laughs> yeah. I was that confident playing football. I didn't understand how people made mistakes like. And uh then I started making mistakes when I was playing for teams. I started being really bad and it really knocked me confidence because I went from being really good to being really bad at football. The one thing I loved, like, and that killed me. Like, and I had a lot of resentment over that, a lot of resentment. And I blamed my mother and father for it. And I carried that resentment. And I got involved in gangs in the area for one, for protection, and two, to put food on the table. And at I, that age? You did that at that age, yeah. At that age, yeah. I felt, look, if I get in with one of these gangs, no one will touch me. No one will touch me family. I'll get a few bob if you have to pay for this, that, and everything else. Kids fucking skilled, you know what I mean? Skilled stuff, Christmas stuff, birthdays. Like, kids still need stuff. And I know it's not the right way now, but at that time, I just thought, look, what am I going to do? I was back into a corner. But what that led to was, like me taking drugs because I had all this resentment and I was looking for this, the confident lad I was when I was over in the Fairman and I couldn't get it and I was like what and then when I took drugs I felt I was back to that which is a bad thing to do do you know what I mean mm-hmm. but that's where it's it a lot of weight on your shoulders at that age like was there was there no other like adult family members around or was the social services not around or no look at like I'd be wrong in saying that there was no one there it was and we far, far aside there was people there because we were wrong if we said they weren't there but 
And my mother saw it. No, I couldn't say. I couldn't back her up and say they were there because I didn't hear many of them. To be honest, with you. Do you know what I mean. The other one would say, "Yeah, look, I, I talked to one or two of them. They're not bad people." Do you know what I mean? But a lot of people stayed away from me. Um, and I don't think personally. I don't think no one done enough. They definitely didn't like come in. Look at kids looking after kids. You know what I mean? Like we're only sixteen, seventeen, looking after like two brothers and two sisters. Like you know, six was in the family. Certainly, the oldest sister, uh, Leslie, she, she, she used to, was the rock of the family and parents. Stuff. She's done a lot more than I would have done. She held it together. Like. But it was a lot of, lot of shit on your, on your bleeding doorstep for that age, you know what I mean? And someone should have stepped in, I think, looking back and said, hang on a minute, you know. Well, look, at, I, don't, I don't hold any resentment to anyone like that, you know what I mean? Because it's not yeah. their fault. So everyone has their own, their own gig, you know. And uh, like I did for a while hold resentment, but I'm sort of done with all that now, resentment and resenting people. And I, I don't give too much space to it, you know what I mean? It's took me for long enough, probably 18 years it's took me life. Um, I'm pretty happy where I am now in the frame of mind I'm in, so I don't really give it too much space. Sort of delicate. And, and, and Jerry, you, you mentioned there that... Um you know, you, you got involved with, with this gang and it was kind of, you seen it as an avenue for protection. You seen it as an avenue of being able to provide for your siblings who you've seen as your responsibility now. Like, when when did the drugs start to come into it? And, like, what, what situation led? I know we said it was kind of an escapism thing, but, you know, how, how did it come about and, and where did it take you? So... As I got in with these gangs more, and as they started to trust me, um, they started bringing me to parties. And when you go to parties with lads a bit older than you, and they're doing stuff, and you're sitting there, and you're in with the wrong crowd, you know, you start to look at different avenues, and then you're offered drugs, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck it. Like, and to be honest, I didn't give a bollocks. That's the truth. Mm. I didn't care what happened. I didn't care who I pissed off. There was no one in my life that I said, do you know what? If I do that, she's going to run amok or he's going to bleed and give me a bollock and that. You know, I'd know to go home to him. Like, it wasn't as if I was going home to a family and a dad saying, you were after being doing something. There's nothing like that. There's no deterrent. And I didn't care. That's being honest. I didn't care about my life because I had no faith in adults anymore. And my self-belief was at rock bottom. My confidence was gone. And, you know, I just felt, so fuck it. I don't want to give a bollock. So I'll take it. There's nothing, nothing for life for me anyway. So that's, that's what led me to taking drugs. And then when I took it, I, I was talking to people. And I nearly had it as like a counselling session because I wouldn't talk to people sober. But when I took the drugs, I started to open up a bit and chat to people and tell them a few bits, you know what I mean? Which is false, really, boys. You know what I mean? It's, I know that now. And, and um, it's, it's not good. Like, taking drugs is not definitely not something I would advise anyone. Uh, those other advice and how to change people, which I can grant it in a few minutes, but... At that time, that's all I knew, and, you know, it was the environment I was in, the product of your own environment, and unfortunately, I was led down the wrong road, and that's what led me to that one. What drugs were you taking? Just cocaine, was it? Yeah, yeah, just that, and, uh, yeah, that was it, really, and grass, I suppose, for a while, but I didn't smoke that, I didn't really like that, to be honest with you. Yeah, that was it. And did you, did you, did you feel secure while you were in this kind of underworld of being in the gang and, and kind of, I suppose when you say you provided for the food on the table you were obviously selling drugs are you? I was, I was holding stuff so 
So we used okay. to throw stuff at people and bring stuff around, you know, like it's that type of stuff, like, uh, yeah, so I was holding stuff, like, and that's that's what I was doing. Were you ever nervous doing that or anything? Not really, and I'll tell you why. Again, I didn't give a fuck. That's what I taught myself. I don't give a shit. No one else gives a fuck. So I'm going to do what I have to do, and that's what I taught. I taught the social service don't give a fuck, the government don't give a fuck, family don't give a fuck, no one's doing nothing for us. So fuck them. I'll do what I want to do. Stupid, like, you know, as a young lady, you know, I didn't think. Now I'm just like, fuck's sake, what was I thinking? But at the time, I was like, fuck it, sure. We have to do what I have to do. No one gives a fuck about us, so no one else going to do it. I'll do it. You were crying out for something, really, weren't you? Look, it would have been a perfect world. You'd love someone to come in and look after you. As you'd need someone actually coming in, mother and father, showing you love. Like you know, we didn't get that. Mm. So there was no one when I went home to say, "Look, you need don't be doing that." Or, you know, do this. Or you know, go and do your education. Look, I, I'm not messing with you. Even school, like I was fucking cheating, and you know, no. Even like Matt hadn't got clue Matt. Even t- today, I don't have a fucking clue Matt. That's been all right. Do do, does anyone? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I was sitting in the exams cheating and all. And like, I only up until a while ago, like, I told people I didn't pass me leaving chair, but I told everyone I did, you know? And I'm shame <laughs> in that now, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, at the time, I was like, no, I passed. But I had all this shit and me bleeding back, and I couldn't study. Like, the last thing mm. I could do was study, you know? And I'd go home and the last thing I was thinking of the studying was, I was thinking like, what's next? Christmas, I don't know, I'd have to get a few bob or whatever it may be, or like you in the lads or studying wasn't on my, my vocabulary, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Can't even say that probably. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, you're, 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 you're still in school, you've got all this weight on your back, you're starting to dabble in drugs and, and, and become more embedded in, in the kind of gangland culture or whatever. At, at any point, did did you start to draw attention from the guards or from anybody like that? No, not really. To be honest, yeah. sir, really, because I wasn't the type of lad that was going around. Because I had that that spell with unpermanent and the professional sort of side of it, I sort of always had a little bit of respect. And I, I never seen it as a good thing, you know what I mean? Mm. I've seen it as something I had to do. It wasn't something that I just picked up and said, we're going to do this because that lad has a lovely jacket and I want a lovely jacket. This, I didn't get inspired by someone. Do you know what I mean? Where other yeah. lads would now, they'd say, I want that fucking car, I want that jacket, I want that watch, because that's what they're inspiring to these days. That didn't happen to me. I was a, people wanted to be me because I was a footballer. So I was sort of dragged into that where I was put in the corner and I, and I was like, what will I do? And that's yeah. all I do. Do you know what I mean? All I knew to do was to say, right, because I lived in Kewlock and, like, I knew a lot of drug dealers. I knew a lot of people who were in crime. It's not hard to find, you know what I mean? So I sort of felt I was dragged into that world. I didn't inspire to be any. I didn't see anyone and go, oh, yeah, I want to be like him. I felt I was dragged in to do something because I needed money and because I needed protection. So that's how, how that evolved, you know? And so you're, you're you're in your late teens at this point, coming into your twenties. Then you start to get a bit older than that. Where did what was the next step for you? The next step. So I got a job. I did. I did get a job. Um, got an apprenticeship, and I finished my apprenticeship. Um, and I, like I wasn't doing the drug thing all the time. Do you know what I mean? 
That yeah, wasn't yeah. all my life. Like I did try and get better and did get an apprenticeship, finished the apprenticeship as a fair attorney. Um, and I done that to prove to me, me brothers and sisters that you can do something, you know. And I completed it. I'm, I'm qualified for it, Um But I always carried the resentment in me. I always ended up going back, taking drugs because I was so no confidence, no self-belief. And I always ended up going back to taking drugs, trying to get back to the confident person I was. I was always sort of chasing that young lad confidence. You know what I mean? It was always on my mind to get back to the way I was. And I didn't know how to do that. But when I took drugs, I felt I was there. Do you know what I mean? So it was a bad yeah, yeah. thing, like to ha- It was a bad thing to like to do. I know that, but that's that's what happened. That's the truth. That's where I ended up I was taking them, you know. Yeah, and like what well, I was just thinking about it now, because like now when you're talking to us, you're talking to us with, with sort of confidence, and you're kind of you're telling us your story, and and it's kind of weird. Like without knowing the background, I wouldn't make the assumption. You know what I mean? That yeah. that 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 background is there, like. Mm-hmm. So t- today, then, so like when you're going into various places to talk about your story, and and you can give some sort of examples of what I, what I'm referencing there, if you want. Um, you know, what's the message that you're trying to give people, like? So at the minute, I'm going into. So I designed this PowerPoint uh, the last six months, mate, my own. Uh, I'm sure you won't mind me at then, Jerry Walsh helped me with a PowerPoint <laughs> and it's based on my life story. And um, yeah. so I'm going into prisons now with my life story. Basically what the message I'm sending to lads in the prison, I was in Shelton Abbey this morning and I gave a, a talk and the message I'm sending is to change a generation. I believe 90% of the prisoners that are in prison or people who are in prison have been led down the wrong road in life by mother and father or maybe they lost someone or something. And I believe that they have a lot of resentment inside them. And that leads them then to taking drugs, to going down the life of crime, because they don't have any self-belief. And the message I go in and give is to, for them to peel it back, get to the root cause of their problems. Go and get counselling, go and get psychological help, or whatever need be, but you have to peel it back. And when you peel it back, you start growing you really do, because that's what happened to me. I've done about 20 sessions. And there's times I didn't want to go for counselling, but you have to want to go. You have to want to be a better person. You have to identify that, you know, you're not right. Because I wasn't right. I was aggressive. And even with my wife, my wife's a great woman. And they were horrible, I probably wouldn't be where I am. But even with my wife, I used to come in and I'd be arguing with her. And eventually I, I said to myself, do you know what? There's something wrong with me. It's not everyone else. You know, you have to realise that it's you. It's not everyone else. And when you realise that and admit to that and start working on yourself, you'll you'll grow. And I started loving again. And I'll tell you this little story, actually. My wife used to give out because I didn't hug her. And I didn't know why. So I'm a man of, like, you know, trying to fix things. So I brought her to couple counselling. And we went to couple counselling. And uh, when we got there, the woman said, what's the issue? And the wife said, he doesn't hug me, but he loves his kids and he hugs his kids. So why can he show affection to them and not to me? And uh, the ladies went around and said to me, we ever hugged as a kid? And I, di- and I wasn't. And I broke down and cried. I broke down and I, I cried like, for, for ages. Like, I, couldn't, I couldn't even hold myself. Like, and I couldn't believe that that's what the problem was. And she said, that's the issue. You have an issue hugging, hugging adults. But I know what it's like not to be hugged as a kid. 
And that's why I give my kids so much love. But that's amazing, add, isn't it? Yeah, isn't yeah, it? That's, that's, yeah. But I had that, that much resentment, boys, inside me. That I was reflecting it outwards as an aggression. Yeah. And a lot of other people have that aggression and resentment inside them. And it's only when you're walking yourself and really walking yourself that you, you understand it. And when, when I got that out of my chest, I got that out of my chest, I felt a lot better. Like, and you wouldn't believe it. Like, I was actually hoping it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But, like, you know, and I, I'm not messing with you. Like, that's why I'm going into the prisons, because I believe that a lot of people have a lot of resentment. And they're acting out because of that resentment. And I believe if they walk them themselves by getting counselling or taking up a sport to vent their anger, because I found the sport being like a counsellor for me. It was an outlet. And uh, it really, really helps. And I, and I don't want to forget the people, because I remember being in prison and thinking my life was over. And I'm not willing to forget about them people. Like, you know, I've been out on my bike and something was eating away at me. You have to go back and help them. And I told myself I wasn't. I said, oh, no, we can't do that. We can't even speak. And I joined Toastmasters a year ago to, to go and speak in order to go back to the prisons. So I joined... Went up every week, uh, got confident in speaking. And when I got confident, I said, right, it's time. So I've done that just for that reason, just to be able to go in and give a talk and be able to hit these lads with, with the, the message of change, you know? And Camille, I ask you, you know, I've, I've a couple of questions here, observations. Um, you said um, you took 20 counselling lessons or courses yourself, individual. Yeah. Um, at what point in your life did you kind of, I mean, with, with addiction and stuff like, not saying that you had addiction, I'm just saying, use an example, that with addiction and all, it always takes people time. They have to admit to themselves that they need help before getting help. Yeah. So at what point did you say, right, I'm going to need to talk to somebody because I need to find what's wrong with me. I need to fix myself here. Um. So sort of, I suppose, the light bulb moment, if, if, if you're talking about that. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... I got out of prison in 2016 and um, it was about July I think and I was off in Amsterdam with a mate of mine and uh, we were talking about my son my son was due in October 2016 he had a son, about four and we were talking about the bonds we, he had, so I said what's it like having a son and he said he'd, he'd bring his son to the doctors and the doctor was taking blood and the son jumped away no that's my dad so he thought his dad was a superhero and it was a great little story. And he said to me, if that never happened to me, I'd never live with myself. And two weeks later, he died from a drug overdose. Right? What? Yeah. And I'm in the funeral home. And I'm sitting there. And the young lad's there that he's talked about. And I'm going, what the fuck is this all about? Like, and I'm not being disrespectful to me, mate. This is not what this is about. What the fuck is this all about? Life all about doing this, getting involved with crimes, getting involved with with criminal empires or whatever you're doing to fucking possibly ruin a lad's life you know what I mean I have a lad on the way and I'm gonna do this for what ego to have money to have money and people think people are doing this to make money for families it's bullshit you're risking your life you know what you do to your kid if something happens to you do you know how much a kid loves you so I, I just sat there and said that's it I'm done I'm done, I'm out of here, I'm, I'm fucking never doing that again. And I made a promise to myself that time, and I just, you know what, my father led me down the wrong path, bad generation, 
My father's father was in prison. My father was in prison, and I was in prison. And I said, I'm going to change this whole generation around. And I'm gonna... Can I ask why you were in prison, um, Jer? Aye. Can I ask uh, why, why you ended up in prison and how long for? Yeah, there was drugs found in the house, and I was guilty of that charge. And uh, I got a three-year sentence for that. Yeah, so that was in 2013. And so you got out then in in to the June May June twenty sixteen. Early two thousand sixteen. And what did you learn nothing from your your stay in prison? Yeah, I did. I learned that the only people that are there are your family, and um, family is king. You need to respect your family because you know what. And I'm guilty of this. When I got out of prison, I showed more respect to the people who weren't there for me than I did for my own family. Because, and that's one of the reasons why I go back to the prisons. Because when I was in there, I thought, this is my life, that's it, I'm, I'm done. Um, and I'm gonna go back out and do what I was doing before I went in. Because I didn't know any about it. Like, no one come in like I, I do now. No one come in to me and said, so what, your, your life's not over. You can go down the right path. You can do this, look what I've done. I'm a prisoner. I've changed my life. These are the paths you can go down. No one come in and said that to me. And I don't know whether I would have listened or not, but it would be nice to have the opportunity to listen to someone who was there before, you know. And when I got out, I showed more respect to the other people than I did my own family. <clears throat> and they eat away at me at times, but I learned that. And that's why I go back in and tell the lads, even this morning I told them. And I start off by saying, I'm prisoner 90771, but you can call me Jerry. <laughs> because I'm one of them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm one of them, and I want them to know I'm one of them. And I'm no shame in that. So it's a good thing that I'm going back, and I, and I actually enjoy it, but we did get nervous, like, obviously, but it's good. I, I enjoy it. Can't hear you, Danny. I can hear you now. Can't hear you, Danny. Can't hear you. Hang on, is that any better? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, lad, sorry. Um. Jerry, you, you mentioned that you, you lost your mate to, to an overdose uh, shortly after getting out of prison then. Um, did, did that have an impact on your mental health? I can only imagine that, like you, you said, you were questioning kind of like, what the fuck is all this about? Was it what the fuck is life all about? You know, like, yeah. like what what did that do to you, to you mentally? Like, um, it, You know what? It gave me fire and passion to change. So it didn't ch- send me the other way. It sent me the right way. Yeah, I got fire from it, and then, yeah, I just said, you know what, I'm done. I'm getting out of here. I'm fucking changing my life. That's it. I don't give a fuck. I, you know what I was willing to do? I was willing to be on my bollocks. That's, and you have to be willing to be on your bollocks and have nothing. Yeah. And that's what I was willing to do, because that's why people do it, because they want to, they say, and this is what they say, and this is what I said, I'm doing it to look after my family. It's the worst load of bullshit I've ever had in my life, because even if you get locked up, you have nothing. Your family has nothing. So you're risking to, ha- to make a few bob, to get nicked, and then have fuck off for five years. You'd get more on the doll in five years than you would with that job. Do you know what I mean? So it's a no-brainer. It doesn't even make sense, but people just logically in their head, that makes sense, but it doesn't. You'd be better off staying up for five years and doing a trade or doing some sort of education. And in five years, you'd have a stable job, and you'd be on a weekly wage every week. That'd be more beneficial than getting locked up for five years and having absolutely nothing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and do you find when you give that message to, especially the younger lads, and I know 
like the, the, the kind of older lads could definitely take heat for it as well, you know. But do you find when you're giving these talks in the prisons, are, are the younger lads engaging with you? Are they kind of taking heed of what you're saying at all, you know, or, or do you feel like you need a little bit more to get through to them? You know what, to be honest, boys, I was talking, talking to a lad yesterday, said I'd go to for a bit of advice and talking that. Mm. You're only going to probably get, no, you're probably going to get the one or two people. You know, 20% of them are just going because they're getting off the landing, somewhere to go. Yeah. The other 20% don't need to give a bollocks. You know, the other 20% will probably take note of it. Yeah, yeah, grand, and go back and forget about it. So you're only going to probably get one or two. And, but that's, I don't, that doesn't bother me. I don't care. I'm only there to get one. That's my motivation. There's times where, like, I was going in there to Weefield a few months ago. Uh, the week of Ironman Cork, and it was a Wednesday, and I was, I was, you know, I had a bit of, on tape a week, it's, it's tough, like, because you, you're nervous to be at you for the race. I was like, I'm not going in. And then I turned around and said, myself, you know what, it's not about me, it's about them. I'm going in to save one person's life. So, literally, I'm going in thinking I can save one person, you know, it's enough. Yeah. You're not going to save everyone, you know. Well, yeah, one or two, you'd be lucky, to be honest with you. Yeah, you're you're coming across there like your your mental resilience is uh is is really really impressive and it's really coming across in the sense of like you know your your difficult background is one thing, getting involved with with gangs at an early age and that kind of thing, um you know now noticing and addressing the fact that you had these kind of anger issues then throughout your later life, ending up in prison yourself for a couple of years, but then you get out. You have that hard moment of your mate uh, uh, succumbing to drugs, and you don't you don't revert back to which is so often the kind of habit where so often the the case where people fall backwards. You use that as a catapult to fucking launch you, man, and that's like it, 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 the resilience to that. You know what I mean? So in in terms of those aspects, where do you think that mental resilience comes from for you? You know what? You know what it was. As well, my son was born in October the 27th, and someone actually said to me before, around that time, and referred to me as my dad, and I sat there and thought, geez, I don't want to be known as my dad, you know, dad, my dad's a bad, bad influence, and I swore to myself that I was going to turn my whole generation around to inspire my son, so he could look up to me and say, you know what? That's my dad, you know, because I was, a, I was, I was ashamed to say my dad was my dad, and I just swore to myself. I said, I'm not going to tell this lad. I'm not going to look this lad in the eye and say, son, don't do that. I know I'm on the wrong road. Because you know what, kids, no, they're not stupid, and they know they, they know a bullshit, and I'm not a bullshit. So I swore to myself. I said, I'm gonna, when I tell that young lad, son, don't do that. He's going to say, Grant, and he's going to believe me. And I'm going to look him in the eye, and I just cannot lie to my son. And I swore I'd never lie to him. And I swore to God, I'm going to turn my whole generation so far around that all they're going to know is good. And, and it's not even for my son, it's for his son. That's how far I'm going. I'm going as far as my son's son and his son. That's how far my generation's going to go. They're going to look back and see the branch changing. And a big light's going to light up my branch. <laughs> you know, and that's my vision, like. Yeah, you know, that's true. Love it, man. Love it. How did you? How did you? When when you? I I often wonder 
with all kind of prisoners, um, no matter what type of like, if it's a if they're in a gang or if they're in the IRA or stuff like that, and they're in prison, when they come out, how do you separate yourself from the gang? Do you just tell the gang, "Sorry, lads, I'm retired," or like, yeah. is is that is that process hard, or is it a process? Do you just stay away, or what? What's the story there? There's a process. There is a process. It's like prison. It's a little bit like prison, and you learn that in prison. You have to play the game. You just play the game in prison if you want to get something. So if you want to get something, you have to be a good prisoner. You have to engage in the, the rules, the regulations. You go to the gym, you go to work, and you get things off them, you know. You know, you get what you deserve. You get moved out of prison, and it's the same when you get out. You can't just tell, tell your lads and get out. Oh, lads, undone. Start getting paranoid. Start thinking, who's this cunt thing he is? And then if you owe any money out, you can't just leave a bill either because you're watching your back. So getting out, you need to have sort of a clean slate. So it took me a while to get out, to be honest with you. I didn't just go out and go, right, boys, I'm done. See you later. Because you know? I was clever and I had five kids and a wife and I didn't want any backlash. So I used my mind and was clever about it. You know, I grew up, had a bit of street sense. I knew which way I walked. And yeah, and I just told them, like, um, I'm just taking a bit of a back step, you know what I mean? But I was still around them a bit just to sort of show them I was still made to them. But I just wasn't engaging in any more criminal activity. That was going to take up a bit of sport. So I started to surround myself actually with a mate, my Mikio. He's, he's, the, he's the reason I'm doing the Jordan sport. He <laughs> 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 was probably going to kill him one day. <laughs> but uh, you just got, you've got to, I suppose you've got to balance it, you know, for a certain, a certain amount of time until the lad sort of realised that, you know, he's all right. I suppose, I suppose you're looking for a bit of acceptance, a bit of a, you know what, he's, he's all right, he's, he's doing something better now, you know what I mean? And that's the way I've done it, and I played the safe and played the clever, I suppose, and used and me. They're yeah, okay with you now and all, they're, yeah. Honestly, I don't talk to them, I haven't talked to them in probably two years, do you know what I mean? I don't be around, all they do is train now, and I look at my family, they're number one, and I do a bit of coaching, and I'm just involved in a whole different circle now, so... But like, I mean, no issues, you know what I mean? I didn't fall out with them or anything like that, so yeah, I assume there's no issues. And t- tell us how you got involved in endurance sports. So, 2016, um, month of October, 7th of October, uh, I went to watch my friend Mick Kyo do an Ironman in Barcelona. I'd been doing bits of training before, trying to get, as I said, I was surrounding myself with like-minded people, with goals and that. He was a, he was a friend of mine since about 12. So I went to watch him and he inspired me that much. I remember saying to myself, imagine I could do that. And I couldn't even fucking swim. And I've never even seen a TT boy, right? So I was about the same when I had a little chat with him, copy, and I said, Mick, what do you think? And he goes, so look at, I'll coach you. Do your best and we'll see what happens. And I said, you know what? If nothing else, I'll be fit, healthy, and I'll be in a better position in my life. Do you know what I mean? So if I don't even, if I don't even do the race, at least I'll be in good, good nick. So I signed up on Maastricht in 2017. It was in August the 6th, same date as we started birthday. And I trained me nuts off, to be honest with you. And I couldn't even do one length of a pill. Now, I'm not messing you, boys. Blowing bubbles I was. Hitting the deck, right? I was like I did an anchor. I'm not messing with you. I was like an anchor. But every day I went back, because I'm a bit of a competitive bollocks, you know? Every day I went back, I got one more length, one more length. And it was tough. It was fucking tough. It wasn't easy, like. But I put the walk in because I wanted to change. I want not only 
But I wanted people to know I was changing, you know. I wanted yeah. to really step up and go, you know what? I'm, I'm, I was really done, I was. I was done, done, done. And I wanted people to know that. And I started training really hard. And uh, I think after a month, I was doing 1K nonstop. And I was on the bike. And every session he was giving me, I was doing. And I remember arriving in Maastricht on the morning of Maastricht. And I remember standing on the canal with me. And I remember saying to myself, I have my life back. I've got this glow, you know. I really felt I had my life back. And I didn't give a bollocks if I couldn't swim around, but I just, I got that aura, you know. And I remember diving into the water and just feeling amazing, you know. And uh, when I crossed that finish line, that changed my life, big time. It was 11 hours I was on, no. And I was in my mind for 11 hours. And I, and I had no suffering. Because people told me, in Jordan's watch, you'd suffer. You'd be in a heap. People didn't know what I suffered. For 18 years. My mind was calloused. My mind was too strong. This is not suffering. I've been through suffering. I'll show you suffering. Come back to my days. You know, George part yeah. isn't suffering. And that's why I became so good at it. Because I didn't suffer. See, see, 2017 was your first one then. So we're, yeah. we're, 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 we're August 6th, you said 2017, was it? Yeah. So we've just had the, the second anniversary, our first one. How many have you done since and, and how are you getting on with it? Um, so in May 2018, I done Ironman Lanzarote, one of the toughest in the world, and again I didn't suffer. So then I thought to myself, Do you know what? I'm gonna go and try and get my pro license, my Irish pro license. And people laughed at me. You couldn't even fucking swim like 12 months ago. Will you shut up and laugh? And I tell you what I done. I got up at three in the morning, a few times every month to prove to myself how much I wanted it. And I got up in the pisses around. And I've done 100k every time. So what I do is pick the calendar, right? And pick random days and test them on. And I pick, say, just say, for instance, 15th of June. And I do this in May, right? So it's no, 15th of June, I have to do 100k. And I just to test them on to see how strong I was. And I'd go up and do this to 100k. And when I landed in Barcelona for me, me uh, pro license, the minute I hit the swim, I knew. I had to hold myself back from saying, this is in the bag. Because I was that strong in the mind. And I came in and uh, finished it in 9.25 and got my Irish Pro License. This is is mad. Like, this whole whole story has gone from such lows to such highs. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, you don't have to talk about it, but have you, what's the lowest, the lowest you've reached? Because, I mean, this is a great story for someone who's been at the bottom who had setbacks, you were going to be a professional footballer, you had to come home, look after your family, you made sacrifices in terms of, you know, joined kind of gangland, you went to prison, you saw the light, you're changing, now you're trying to help prisoners, you're doing triathlons, that's like from the low of mental health to the fucking, the top like, did did you... Did you look? We're 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 a podcast that always promotes mental health, and we talk. We're not afraid to talk about the lows and and the highs. Did you reach the very bottom? Did you ever think, contemplate suicide at all, or were you ever in that frame of mind? Yeah, hundred percent. Like on a couple of occasions, but I do remember one occasion. Uh, I was seventeen years of age, and I remember being at a party, and I was really low, you know, really bad. I think I was doing drugs at the time, or whatever. And I remember going to the toilet and locking myself in the toilet. And I rang my mother for the first time. I hadn't talked to her since she left. 
And I was that low. I was going to kill myself. I really was. And I said, this is the only thing that's going to stop me. Because I missed that so much. Because, you know, you want your, your family. like You miss your family. like You miss a parent being around, I suppose. And with everything else going on. Like, and uh, I rang on and I said, look, I need to come home. Like, I'm, 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 not, I'm not getting on too well. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm thinking about killing myself. Like, and uh, in fairness, well, she agreed. Like, she was in Liverpool. I had to rent out a, I had to rent out a truck and go over and collect all the furniture. And I, I, we agreed, my own sister, and we agreed to move our boyfriend in with us, you know. I said, look, come, come back, like, we don't mind, you know what I mean? We welcome your boyfriend. And she came back, and uh, within a week, she was back on the drink with a fella, and they were sitting in the sitting room and drinking until, like, 7 in the morning. And I remember coming down and saying, because we came down with the kids getting from school, you know what I mean? And there's me mad drinking with a fella fucking cans, like, it's not a good influence. And I said to them, I said, if you was out here in the morning, I said, I'm going to fuck you out. Next morning I went down and they were in the garden. Oh, they were in the house drinking cans again in front of the kids. And I fucked the two of them out. And I think that at that time I saw, I said, you know what, that's it. I'm only fucking on there. We're, we, we don't have anyone. Just grin and bear with um, But like, yeah, that was a really, really low point. Really low. Cause and do you think when you rang her and if she had said, no, I'm, I'm not coming home, do you think you would have went through with it? Do you know what? I don't it was actually, a cry for help. It was a cry for help, you know. Because to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't have because I couldn't do that to the other kids that were in my family or my sister. They've been through enough mm. after losing my mother, after losing my father. And that's the reason I come home from Scotland, was to look after them and be there for them. So the last thing I wanted to do was fucking put that in their laps on top of what they've been through. So that was always in my mind as well. So I saw cotton between a rock and a hard place, you know what I mean? With the mind, like, like fuck, what we do with that, and what about them? And, from from that low, chair, uh, and then you, you talked about that highest high, like you know, in the water and then crossing the finish line, that kind of thing. But what 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 do your siblings think of you, you now, and especially you know, getting your pro license, completing these fucking endurance things? That to be honest, I I get tired even thinking about it, man. But like, <laughs> like what 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 do they say to you now, like? They, they're very proud of me, that's been honest with you. And I'm inspiring them as well, you know. They're starting to make a little change in their life. And, you know, and I'm telling them they need to go back and peel it back and get help. And you have to work on yourself, you know. So I'm, I'm giving them some food for thought and telling them the pattern as well, obviously, that I'm going down. What I found works, you know, and it does work. Like, it really does. And, yeah, I've been relating to them and they're changing. You can see that changing them. Like, I have my niece text me for diet plans and have my nephew looking for to go to go and do running and look to do triathlons, you know. So yeah, and I've inspired me like my little daughter's only like six and she's done like two five Ks and and then like sports time she asked me, she goes, Dad, can we do a run? And I said, No, what the park runs on, I'll just bring her down, you know. Went down, said, just do two K and I said, Right, yeah, grand I got to do the whole five. It was fucking pretty She's done. She's done two five k more than I have anyway. I can tell you that much. <laughs> and then the week after, I had the other daughters, Kira, Haley, and, and Kiva, and my niece. Five of them I had then doing the five k. So you know, they are definitely a product of their environment. And as as parents, it's uh, a responsibility to set the right environment for our kids. And I'm a firm believer in that. And you've got to, you've got to inspire, you've got to do something yourself. 
for your kids to look up to. You can't just tell your kid, you need to be going swimming. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing something yourself. Kids are watching you. You know what I mean? So even for a woman out there to go and do a course, the kids are watching. Even though they might not say that's great, man. They're still watching the corner of the right saying, man's doing something. You know what I mean? So it's important. You've, you've, so you've, you've inspired your, your own daughters and your, your nieces and your nephews and that. Do you think your message will hit a wider audience? If you were to go into schools, if you were going to sports clubs or youth clubs or, or that kind of thing, you know, would, would you be putting your story to them and trying to get them more out there and say, this is the avenue that can help you lads? Yeah, well, I have a vision. Um, so, yeah, as a minute, I'm going to the prisons, but I have another vision for kids and it's a prevention program that I'm looking to, to make up at the minute. Um, it requires some, I suppose it'll, it'll inquire like, what would you call it? Yeah, some structure, but also I needed some sort of investment in it because it, a sponsorship kind of thing. Yeah, um, because like you look at it, it's an app. To be honest, you're looking to do a prevention app that can integrate with kids and go in and tell them what to watch out for in terms of going down the wrong road, right? But not only that, I want to identify and show them the bad stuff because all kids see now is the lad on the road on the phone with the fucking jacket and the watch hanging out and he's good runners and he's getting into a top of the range car and that's what they're inspiring to. but they don't see the dog getting kicked in they don't see that the drug habits you get the mental habits the suicide the jail the death they don't see that they they miss that by focusing on the good things so my vision is to go in and then show them that yeah you might think that's good but this is the bullshit Show them the bullshit. At least then they have food for thought and they'll think about it. And also to, to, to show them that who their friends are. Because I know that I've taken advantage of with my circumstances. And I know the lads in, in the area seen that and used me as a tool to benefit them. This lad is, you know, he's on his own. He needs a few balls. Get him to do everything. You need to know who your friends are. And friends don't actually do that. Friends tell you not to do it. Do you know what I mean? So there's a few messages I want to relate that I've learned in my experience over the years, and I want to put it to paper, I want to put it to an app. But to do that, it has to get an investment. I have to sit down with a team. I don't know where to go with it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So I have a vision, but I don't know. I, I need someone to sort of go, this is what you do, that's what you do. You know what I mean? In the next week, whatever it is. You never know, but anyone... so someone listening to this might, might hear it and... They might want to say, geez, this lad's great. I'll, I'll, I'll help him out. You never know. And if, so if anyone's if listening. They do, if they do, Jerry, how can they get in touch with you? Um, look, obviously you have a, an email address, jerry.fitnessgoals at gmail.com or I'm on Instagram, jerryredmond5 and you could mess me that way. Um, but like, look, at it's, it's all for the good cause of the kids. There's not enough around. I went to the local guard station, the community officer I was chatting to down there, and they said there's no one actually doing. The guards normally go around and give talks on prevention, you know, and apparently they haven't got the resources at the minute. And I did write an email to the Minister of Education explaining this and telling them that there's not enough being done and there's a lot of people getting hurt around the area that are looking up to their own people, and I think we need to do some sort of prevention um, in, in schools. And I'm willing to do it. Yeah. Uh, 
And they wrote back and said they don't actually back up uh, like out of resource or something, which is fair enough. Do you know what I mean? I don't know much about it, to be honest. With you. So I just said thanks very much. And but I'm 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 passionate about this. I'll, I'll go into schools if I have to, and I'll do it on paper if I have to. Do you know what I mean? I'm not giving up because someone won't invest. I'm not giving up because I can't get that. I'm still willing to. I'm still not giving up on it. You know, because it's very important. You know. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. If if that's if there is anyone listening who who thinks they might be able to point there in the right direction, or if they may be the the missing ingredient in creating that magic, lads, either get in touch with ourselves or or give Jared a shout on those details and um, that he's just giving you, and uh, let's try and make it happen because your your story, Jared, is it's uh it's definitely one that I think anybody at any stage in their life could take something from, um you know, and I think everybody can relate to to elements of it. And um, it, it's like, like, congratulations to you is probably the, the first thing that come to my head in terms yeah, of one, one turn around, but, but two, using that turn around to then bring that positivity to other people and to, and to give them that sort of, look, there is light at the end of the tunnel, you know, because it's, uh, it's vitally important that people get that message. Yeah. Do you get critic? Do you ever get criticism, Jay? Do you ever get people saying, oh, Jesus, he was, he was in the underworld now, now he's a do-gooder? No, like, no, I'm not telling no. As I said, I don't be around. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Anyone that sees me, sees me run, either running boy or fucking going boy on a bike. That's, <laughs> that's just, that's just Merrow looking for a tabloid spin, Jared. Don't worry about that. No, I'm just, like, you might get, you might get people, you know, you always get it online or you get it locally. Like yeah. this man, you know, he used to hold drugs for a gang and now he's preaching the, preaching the gospel according to Jared. You know, I, I I would hope that you that you don't obviously, but um, you know what, Pete? Some people are like, um, Jared, did you give your wife a hug? I do, lads. Not as much as she'd like to, but I still do. Um, like my wife has been there for me through the thick and thin. She was there for me when I was at rock bottom, and she's still there for me now, pushing me towards my goals and dreams. So I'm very blessed to have her in my life. I'm telling people I love them more, do you know what I mean? My cousins and my brothers, like, I'm actually saying, look, I love you, and I'm sober saying it. And that means a lot for me, you know, because, do you know what? As a kid or whatever, when, when my man I used to tell me, love me when you're drunk, it was always false. They never told me they love me when you're sober. And it's something always stuck with me, you know what I mean? So I like telling people I love them when I'm fresh and sober and telling them, and there's something nice about it, you know what I mean? Something nice about saying that I heard now. I think it, it, it sounds also like y- your parents had possibly had resentment in their life that they've never dealt with, and and that's why maybe some of the actions they've taken in their life. Can I ask, are your parents still around? Yeah, they're still around. Yeah. And and did, are you in touch, or are they? Did he did he know what you're doing, or how you're getting on, or? Um, no, I'm not really in touch to be honest with you. Um. No, definitely, I'm not in touch, like, you know, yeah, I mean, mother would text me in that, and, you know, but again, like, when your mother texts you, she should ring you or come around you, do you know what I mean, and say, you know what, I'm proud of you, when she's sober, when someone texts me, or I don't know whether she's drunk, text me, so I don't take it as a, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's sincere. Yeah, do you know what I mean, I just feel there's a bit more to it, if you really mean it and you see the good in it. Why not say it to my face? And, but like, what you said there is, I think they have a lot of resentment in them. And I think they need to address it as well. You know? So I don't hold too much negativity to them anymore. 
because now I see how it works. But I also, do you know what? Do you know what it was as well, lads? When you're being treated bad in your life, right? Like my father would be in by his father. And he, how can you add, how can you pass that on? If you don't like being treated bad, being hit, being lied to, not having holidays, why, why bring it on to a different generation? You know, you're in charge of your choices. You have to live with that. If you don't like something, don't bring it on. Don't bring it on to your kids. You need to change for the better of your own kids. If you don't like something, change and treat them better. That's my motto. That is fucking deadly. Here, here, man. Here, <laughs> here. Um, Jay, we're, we're running out of time tonight, but before we do wrap up, um, have you got any races coming up or is there anything coming up that you want to get the word out to people about? I'm racing on Sunday in Dunleary, Ironman. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot that was on, actually, yeah. The Bay yeah, 10K uh-huh. thing, is it? No, don't hear the Iron Man. Iron Man, Bay the Bay 10K, 10K was already on. Was it? I'm not yeah. living in the I'm not living in the yeah. border anymore, lads. I'm out of t- I'm in the I'm in the sticks now. All the news comes about six weeks late to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the nearly half is on Sunday. Um and I'm number eight on the list. No, bib number eight. So if anyone wants to give me a shout out, walk okay. away. If they Love see it. you yeah. there, that's it. Yeah, and I'm uh, yeah, but uh, Wales coming up as well, and Barcelona and Dublin, so it's still a big schedule ahead, you know. Unreal, because um, two two of two listeners to this show who do the triathlons with yourself, uh, John Blake and Jamie Phillips, both of them yeah. messaged us to say, lads, you need to get this lad on on the show, and I swear, Jared, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'd listen to you all day. Um, is there is there any other projects coming up at all, like in terms of? radio or tv or, or anything like that that you can talk about or are you doing anything or yeah so uh today can you hear me boys yeah yeah yeah, yeah so today i'm doing a, a piece on humans of ireland um and that's live at the minute so you can check that out um a lad called peter i met up with peter lovely lad and he does little stories on people in, in dublin and i suppose all over Ireland, but uh, he he released that today, so good for a little bit of only a snippet of what we told you, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless, it was a lovely piece, and I uh, really appreciate it. I've of two companies actually contacted me to do full documentaries um, on my life story, which they're gone off the pitch for now as we speak. So fingers crossed, someone someone grabs a hold of it because I think that'd be a good way to get my story out to a wider audience. Absolutely, um, man. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's going on. And then obviously talking to your lad, you lads today. And then I had another lad contact me to do a podcast, but um, I chose you. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> is that because of John and Jamie, is it? Because of that context. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, love it, man. On that, yeah, the lads, John and Jamie, two top lads, you know. Uh, I wish them the best on Sunday as well, because... Uh, uh, they're very close to me and they believe in me as well. You know, it's a lot to be said for someone believing in So, yeah, all good. Deadly. Listen, Jared, thanks so much for your time, all right? No bother, boys. Yeah, and and, uh, and best of luck in Dunleary and with the other races and uh, and with how, hopefully the documentary goes ahead because th- that'll just definitely, definitely help uh, the story get out there more, man. So, fingers crossed for you with all of that. No problem, lads. Thanks for that time. Deadly. Thanks, Thanks Jerry. a million, Jared. Take Fine. care, man. Keep it real. Jared Edmund, lads. What a story. Like, 
I like. Does not often we get does not often we get guests in the podcast where you're kind of we've talked about this before, Merlo, where we're almost leaning in and just listening to everything that's being said as opposed to actually thinking of questions and and engaging and you know what I mean and eventually we'll snap out of it and ask a question or whatever. But like his story is one that is just so powerful that I found myself just generally just being like, holy shit! And I was actually in my head being like, this could be a documentary, and then ultimately at the end. He reveals that, that there is talks of that potentially happening. Like, yeah, uh, exactly. I feel the exact same in terms of documentary. Um, yeah, it was just a really enjoyable chat from a really nice person. And again, we said at the start about uh, John Blake and Jamie Phillips. So I must say again, that's fair play to us for putting putting them to us because uh, we eventually got it over the line with them, and it was very, very good. And very ultimately, I'd say it's like what Jared said when he goes into the. Uh, into the prisons if you can help one person and i think if this podcast can help one person or to to reach out to jerry and, and if, if you're if you can give him a little bit of a bump or whatever you know that way that's it man that's it and and you know as 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 you asked and he described he went from the lowest of lows where contemplating taking his life to you know the highest of highs through the birth of his children and then ultimately getting involved in endurance racing and that kind of thing and the difference that's made to him um, definitely sounds like it's 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 life changing and that you know there's, there's no going back for that bloke and, no, and more power to him more power to him and I hope yeah. the documentary gets picked up so we can watch it and it goes to a wider audience uh, absolutely absolutely um right well, I mean yeah like that that's it that's it for this week and, and that's I it for this week we enjoyed that yeah. we had a big in we had a long in, a long enough intro and um, we had a great interview with Jer and. Uh, now we're we're going we're going to go to bed. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go down. I'm going to get myself a nice glass of milk. I'm going to take a Renny, and I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> Renny? What are you taking a Renny for? I've I've a, a little bit of indigestion, Graham. Oh, very good. What's up here dinner? Uh, I had uh, pasta and meatballs, home homemade meatballs in a beautiful, beautiful ragu that the wonderful Oksana makes. Lovely, unreal ragu. It was. It was uh, it's quite tasty, I must say. Quite tasty. It's chicken and broccoli. Sounds absolutely appalling. If people want to listen to other installments of this award-winning audio sensation, Graham, where can they do so? All they have to do is search WTS Pod on all podcast providers. Spotify, Podcast Republic, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can also go to WTSPod.com and you can also search us out on Twitter at WTSPod. He's at Danjo Murray on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Merrigan Mania on Instagram and Twitter. And I did a FEI Cup second round draw or second round promotional ad for Rovers and draw it, which happened two nights ago. And I can't remember if we won or we lost because it's now Sunday. How much you get paid for that ad, man? Zero. <laughs> yeah, right. I've seen, I've seen your face for public appearances. I know how it goes down. Zero. Um, until next time. Before we say until next time, let's go back and listen to the original WTS 189. It's actually quite <laughs> funny. I only listened to it there the other day when I realised they're coming to 189. The, Great the, the prostitute stories on that, is it? I think it might be actually. Yeah, I think the uh, the Vegas prostitute story is on it, and I think uh, 
the the story of us uh, eating vegetables in Vegas because at that you're you're still a student of Lindsay Doyle PT. I was still a student of Lindsay Doyle PT, so we we definitely went into a lot of detail about how many vegetables we ate because Lindsay <laughs> might be listening. <laughs> Zilch. Exactly, man. Unless they're deep fried and covered in salt, there was none. <laughs> no anyway. Thanks for listening, lads. Go back and listen to WTS Chapter 189. Way, way, way back in the archives. You'll have to go digging for it, but it's worth the fucking listen. Graham Merrow Merdigan, until next week. Clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Too sweet. Come on, Rovers. Look. <laughs>